May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The old axiom goes, you never have a second opportunity to make a good first impression. We know that. We live that. It's kind of part of what you, what you do. If you invite people into your home or people, uh, you go to somebody else's house, you, you want to make a good impression. You, you don't want to have some weird, nutty thing happen. And so you, you put on good behavior. You put on clothes that are maybe just a little nicer. You, you bring a beautiful hostess gift. You, you, you elbow your husband and you say, now, Fred, there'll be no politics and no religion at this dinner. We don't know these people too well, and you need to be on good behavior. Yes, honey, yes, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You want to speak of topics and things that are warm and engaging. You want to invite them into the conversation to talk about themselves. You, you, you want to do things that leave a good impression so that when you leave, they say, we would love to have the Klinkenbergs back. Pastor Tim doesn't eat nearly as much as he did the last time we were out with them. It's great. And his wife is the sweetest human being in the whole world. As opposed to, he drank all of my good wine. He ate like a horse, sat on the couch and scratched his tummy and flicked the station from football game to football game. That's not being a good house guest. That's not leaving a good first impression. But people struggle with that first impression if it's rough, if you have an impression and and then you you spend a a long time trying to get over that until finally someone says, dude, remember that time when you came and then then you laugh and you're like, like, like this. Today in our text from Luke chapter four, Jesus is making his first impression. He's preaching in Nazareth and and it's his own hometown people. It's the people who know him and love him, who, who grew up with him. It's very possible that Jesus' father, Joseph, died at an early age, and Jesus had to stay home and stick around to make sure that the carpentry shop was good, that his mom and brothers and sisters had what they need until maybe the brothers were of age and they could work in the, in the shop, but, but now it was getting real. And so he does what the Messiah was called to do. He sits in the crowd at the synagogue with the Word of God and teaches from the Scriptures. He begins with these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has proclaimed me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What a gracious message that is. Easy to preach. Preachers love to preach that because you're like a Labrador. When, when you nod and go, oh, pastor, that's so good. You're just petting me down the back and scratching my ears. And, and I'm just, <laughs> it's just great. People are enthralled with the hometown boy who comes and preaches the gospel. They want to hear this. And the scripture tells us that everybody praised Jesus. And his first impression is outstanding, at least in that moment. Everything is good. Everything is beautiful. Everything is salutary. They're, they're, they're elbowing and they're saying, we remember when he was so cute and he was just a little guy. 
We remember when those wise men came and wasn't that cool and they said he was the son of God and he's just one of our guys and his message is warm and beautiful and loving and we all lean in. And the grace kind of radiates throughout the crowd. Everyone's leaning into Jesus and everyone's nodding yes. It's just fantastic until Jesus opens his mouth again. And he picks and prods at his hometown crowd. He says these words. Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy, the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not, a, not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Nicely done, Jesus. You have ticked everybody off. And you took your crowd from leaning in and loving and listening to being ready to throw you off a cliff and kill you. Ouch. John 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. Jesus brings grace and Jesus brings truth. At least He does so here this first day in Nazareth full of the grace which everybody loved and everybody wanted, that this guy is good and close and he represents God, that he is the Messiah. He's, he's happy and they think it's wonderful. And, and then there's the truth of how the crowd is going to change and things are going to shift and it's just not going to be good for him. He's going to be, we're going to put him on a cross and on that cross they're going to say, come on down, big guy, you healed others, you can't heal yourself. He speaks grace, but he speaks truth. And grace without truth is license, and truth without grace is painful. And you get to think for a few moments now, are, are you a grace person or a truth person? And the answer should be, I'm a little bit of both, Pastor, and here's how it works. Do you listen to the story before you critique the punctuation? Do you listen to the person before you jump to judgment? Are you full of grace and truth? So run that through a little bit. Run that through family. Run, run that through your family life a little bit. If we're filled with grace and have little, if any, truth, we're very popular parents when our kids are, are little. And, and, and they love us because, can we have chips for dinner? Sure. Can you take me? Yeah, sure. Can you? And the kids kind of run the, run the house. It all just kind of works that way. It's loving and warm and kind and rooms are a wreck and you don't eat this and you do eat that and you live at McDonald's and you have a punch card for islands and it just kind of is what it is. Because life is filled with all this warm gobbledygook grace. And grace becomes license. And children become soft and they struggle in life when they have to go through a different season or a difficult time because they've never been confronted with the truth. The truth is you're going to clean up your room and this is what it's going to look like. And then they freak out when they get married and their wife says to them, I'm sorry, but I'm not your... Right? 
filled with grace with very little, if any, truth. Now, the corollary of that is, is, is right on as well, that truth without grace makes like growing up around a barbed wire fence. And every time you rub against that fence, it, it grabs you, it rips you, it tears at you. We set up boundaries that people can't live up to, and we damage and break the soul of the loved ones when, when we don't read the story, but we criticize the punctuation. When we don't look at the, the bigger picture before we begin making judgments and conversation about why this and why that. You know, these people are just this way and that's how it is and that's the truth. Well, if we raise our children and love the people around us without grace and only truth, we're going to live very lonely lives in very clean houses. These are the children that get to be 18 and they Google search which colleges are absolutely the farthest away from home. <laughs> and they come on Christmas and Easter and for a week in summer and find internships that allow them to disengage. Because engaging in a house that has no warmth of grace, but only the judgment of truth, is a very, very painful, cold place to live. So Jesus comes into the picture. He's got a unique opportunity here in Luke 4 to make a, a good first impression, and he does. First full of grace and, and warmth, he leads his hearers to Isaiah the prophet, and he stands up and he says, I am the guy. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You're watching the Messiah. You're seeing God's grace unfurled, unrolled, and right before you in the person of Jesus, Mary's son. And then he articulates through Isaiah's words what he's going to do. He will preach. He will proclaim. He will bring recovery. He will release, he will proclaim the Lord's favor. And all of a the sudden they're saying, go Jesus, go. We love this part of you. This is great. But then he preaches the truth. And he tells them he's not welcome in his own hometown. That they will be making painful comments toward him. That there's more people than them to consider in the kingdom of God. And then he pulls two painful illustrations out of their past. He said, you know what, when Elijah raised up the widow's son in Zarephath from, from the dead, he could have done that to any Jewish Israelite person in the whole world, but he chose the lady from Sidon. How does that make you feel? And Naaman, when he was cleansed and he had leprosy, Elisha could have taken care of any Jewish guy in the whole region, and he chose this, this Syrian. And he just put a thumb right on where they hurt, right on their open wound, right on their open sore. It was true, but it shifted their hearts and minds just a little bit. Grace and truth. Jesus has both of those for you today in this hearing, in this message. He's filled with both for you because he loves you so much. His grace is for you. He is warmly disposed towards you. And if I were to say anything other than that, I would not be proclaiming the truth. Jesus Christ loves you and is graciously disposed for you. And the marker of that and the sign of that is the cross. Never has anyone sacrificed so much for people who were undeserving. But in delivering his grace to us, he is warmly disposed, kindly disposed, delivering forgiveness of our sins and a deep, intimate connection filled with meaning to God through that grace. We are close to God. 
And all the good things that we have flow from the life and the death of Jesus. The meaning that you look for in your life is found in His grace. And Jesus is full of truth. Sometimes I really struggle with that. We live in a time where people see grace as license. How many people have said to you, you know what, you're a Christian and you go to church, you have to forgive me. You have to do what I'm asking you to do because you're a Christian. That's not grace, that's license. But we live in a world that thinks that sort of license is the truth. But the truth is sometimes really hard to reckon in our own lives and relationships. For Jesus, grace is resistible, but his law, his truth is irresistible. And the truth is that people like us are imperfect and broken and wounded and lost. And that's the effect of the world and sin, grinding on us, beating on us, setting us against one another. And sometimes we've got to speak the truth in love to kind of straighten things out. And nobody or many people don't want to hear the truth because the truth is then perceived as hypocritical and judgmental. You are judging me by telling me that. But that's what it says in the scriptures. Right, that's your truth, not mine. My sense is that as the church continues to proclaim the truth, the harder it's going to be, but the better it's going to be. Because Jesus says the truth sets you free. We want to be free. Out from under sin, out from under death, out from under judgment, out from under hypocrisy. The truth is that imperfect people find the truth of God's love in Jesus Christ. And that when we don't live our lives according to the truth of God, lives break down. And our generation that is living with us now is going to find that out when their kids turn 14, 15, 16. And they've not lived according to a a set of truths that have worked for millennia. They'll be back. And at that point, it's ours to graciously receive them. We live our lives in that continuum of grace and truth. We reflect, we meditate, we turn back to God and His Word. We find meaning for our lives and strength in His grace and truth. And we live in that tension. Always kind of, how does it work today and now and in this place? as it was for the people of Nazareth. So it is for us. So it will be for our kids and and grandkids as we follow Jesus, not just for a season or a moment of our life, but as we follow Jesus every single day of our lives. So what's your impression? Your first impression of 2019. How's it going for you? Full of truth? There's been realities where you're saying, man, this is hard, I hate this. This is awful. If the next 300 plus days are like the first 27, I got to move. I got to get out of here. I got a different job. I got to jump ship because the truth of this is that this is just way too hard. And if it doesn't loosen up, then I'm in deep trouble. Or has it been a warm, gracious beginning of the year? And you said, I left 2018 back there. And I'm finding a little less chaos in my life and a little more togetherness the first 27 days of this year. What do you need 
that Jesus offers. The good news, the Lord's favor, recovery, healing, release from sin and death. For what you need is not necessarily found in the first impression of Jesus, but even more, walking with Jesus for a long time allows us the context of life to understand how grace and truth work together instead of oppose one another. So the encouragement from the scripture today is to follow Jesus. Shouldn't really shock you too much. Follow Jesus. This year, this season of your life, this first quarter, this first month of 2019, follow Jesus. Let his truth persuade your way of thinking your speaking and your behaviors, but find your rest and your energy in His amazing grace. And let the meaning of your life be found in Jesus Christ and His gracious disposition towards you. For truth is tough, and God's truth is irresistible. But his grace predominates in his ministry, in his words, in his tone, with his actions toward us. His grace is warm and draws us close so that we can experience that marvelous list of his works, recovery, healing, release, life, and freedom, all that are found in the palm of his hand for the people he holds by his grace. In the name of Jesus, amen.